Well, good morning, church. Y'all all right? That was so lame. I'm going to be honest, man, this is like my favorite day of the week. And not because, like, I'm a pastor and I'm supposed to say that. But, man, I'm going to tell you, uh, hearing you guys worship this morning, digging together to seeing, uh, as Matt was even saying, man, it is so cold, but you had smiley faces this morning, getting your cup, cup of coffee. Now, some were more smiley than others, okay? But, uh, man, we are so glad you are here. I love what God is doing at this place. Um, if you've been here over the last couple weeks, you know, uh, man, we're all about Jesus. This is not about our kingdom, and it is about uh, really following Jesus, making his name known. And we get to do that together as we are imperfect people, just trying to walk with Jesus and follow him to the best of our ability. And I just want to kind of reiterate what Matt was saying, just so you kind of know, um, because we've been praying for this as a campus um, with our mission emphasis this morning. You'll see a table, and I know it might get crowded, um, but there's a lot of different opportunities, Lord willing, with COVID and stuff, where you can go on mission, okay? I'm just going to throw these out really, really quick, but here's a couple different options. There's a couple different trips to Alaska, There's a trip to Mexico, a couple different trips to Brazil, Honduras. There's stuff for disaster relief and Samaritan's Purse. There's um, a family trip to West Virginia. So those are just kind of a snapshot of some things, different dates you can find online. Michelle, um, she really wants you to go so much so. She told me today she'll pay for your trip. Um, Just kidding. She didn't say that, okay? But um, as a church, just want you to know if you're a member you do get a discounted rate on your trip. And if it's your very first time going on the trip, this is how much we believe and and going on these trips and how it will change your walk with God is that there's also additional scholarship funds for you. We have a church that is very, very generous. And as part of our one initiative over the next two years, we want to see more people go on their first time mission trip ever. And I will tell you this, if you've never been overseas, and I'm not just saying, well, we went, I went spring break to Cancun. It was awesome, okay? But I'm saying to go and serve and really be the hands and feet and be nitty gritty, I'm going to tell you, you go on those trips, and I'm just going to, I'm probably going to step on some toes. We go usually thinking, oh, rich America, we're going to go and help all these poor kids in Brazil. And what ends up happening is you go, and guess whose lives radically changed? You. Your eyes are open. And what happens in those trips is just amazing how God works and humbles our hearts and softens it. And really to open our eyes and really prepare our hearts for coming back to our normal lives and not be normal again. And so I encourage you to go check that out. Um, follow, you know, go, I know you have to talk about money and all that kind of stuff and vacation time and whatever, man, just step into that and let the Lord just guide you in that. So make sure you check that out. Also, just kind of a quick praise too, is next weekend is our reckless weekend for students. And so our middle school and high school students are gathering together, kind of an in-town retreat, if you will. It's life-changing for them. And this is a big deal for us because, you know, we're kind of in the land in between with our student ministry. We don't have a space for them um, per se right now, but reckless weekend is kind of kicking this off. We have 15 students from our campus that are registered for Reckless Weekend, which is a big deal. And, um, and so that's huge. And then 
Uh, the following Sunday, the 20th, our middle school and high school students are going to be meeting at 950 over in the doctor's office. And so they've given us permission to meet over there so they'll have some good time to grow and connect and build those relationships instead of listening to the boring pastor named Dustin, okay? So um, anyway, we have been on this journey for uh, following Jesus' life, and we're going to just continue where we picked off, uh, picked, uh, closed off, picked up, whatever, however I'm trying to say that, uh, left off, that's what I'm trying to say, uh, last week um, in this story. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Luke chapter 8. We're going to be starting in verse 40, and we've been on this incredible journey so far looking at all these different things of Jesus. We see that he's at the pinnacle of his ministry, and where we left off last week, if you were here, is in this moment where, man, Jesus has been doing incredible things. There's been a lot of, he's called um, some disciples, they've witnessed incredible miracles, Uh, They have seen a lot of awesome, awesome things from just really dropping their nets as fishermen and following him. And then they get to this moment where their their faith is tested for the very first time. They're on the Sea of Galilee going across the lake and a storm hits. They're freaking out. They're like, we're dying. Jesus is taking a power nap. So they go to Jesus. They're screaming, we're dying. We need your help. Jesus comes. He calms the storm. And then he asked them this really poignant question, really one that that's where we kind of left off last week. He asked the disciples this kind of confrontational question, if you will. He says, where is your faith? And I can't help but think, and I'm not just saying this because I'm, I'm a pastor, man, I've wrestled with that question all week. I kind of closed out saying on a scale from one to ten, where would you kind of mark your faith in this? And I know that kind of seems seems weird, but really thinking about that question, if Jesus is asking me right now, where is your faith? I've just been chewing on that. We even talked about it a little bit in our small group. And I can't, can't help but think that in the New Testament, we see over and over and over again, Jesus say things like this, because of your faith, your sins are forgiven. He says, Because of your faith, you have been healed. Because of your faith, you're well. Go in peace. Because of your faith, you can now see. Because of your, you know this, because of your faith. And so I've wrestled with this, and I've asked this question, and I think it's so true. But if you think about it, you might need to process it a little bit. I've been processing it. But think about this. Do you think that there's a correlation or at the very least, some type of relationship between the level of our faith and the miracles we experience. Now, I'm not saying that in a judgmental standpoint to say, if you have small faith, you're not going to experience miracles. But I do, at the very least, think there, there is a correlation into truly experiencing all that God has for you and me and the miracles we experience That has to do with our faith. When our faith is tested, when our faith is good and everything is going great, where we put our trust in the Lord, there is a direct correlation. And this morning, as we continue this journey, we're going to really see a miracle, a couple of miracles. Actually, it's really a miracle within uh, another miracle. Two for one special this morning, okay? You can pay me later. Um, But it's this incredible moment. This is the only time in the Gospels we actually see these 
these miracles that as the gospel writer Luke is writing this, he intertwines these things. That Jesus is about to perform a miracle, and on the way, he performs another miracle before that miracle. And it's just awesome to see this level of faith that these two individuals have. And so this morning, as we read, I want you to kind of lean, kind of be perceptive in the comparison and contrasting these two individuals. And where is your faith? How do you relate uh, to these two people that we see in the Gospel of Luke. So let's read this um, together. Starting in verse 40, we're going to go to 56. All right? So bear with us. I know it's a lot of passages, but incredible narrative. Verse 40. Now, when Jesus returned, the crowd welcomed him, for they were all waiting for him. The word has gotten out. They are on the edge of their seat. Jesus is coming to their town, and it is like a new movie release. They could not wait for this moment. And here we see the first of our people. And there came a man named Jairus. All right, you should try to hear Dallas, our campus pastor Harrison Bridge say that. It's real funny. If you know him, you'll get that later. Okay, YouTube him. Um, he's a star. Okay, but he, here came a man named Jairus who was a ruler of the synagogue. And falling at Jesus' feet, he implored him, or he begged him, to come to his house. For he had an only daughter, about 12 years of age, and she was dying. All right, so we get this introduction to this guy named Jairus. Let's continue. As Jesus went, the people pressed around him. So the crowd is there. And there was a woman who had had a discharge of blood for 12 years. And though she had spent all her living on physicians, she could not be healed by anyone. She came up behind him, being Jesus, and touched the fringe of his garment. And immediately her discharge of blood ceased. And Jesus said, who was it that touched me? And all denied it. (laughs) Everyone's like, not me. And Peter said, one of the disciples said, Master, the crowd surrounds you and are pressing in on you. And Jesus said, Someone touched me, for I perceive that power has gone out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him, declared in the presence of all the people why she had touched him. So this is our second character. And how she had been immediately healed. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. And while he was still speaking, someone from the ruler's house, so this is Jairus' friend or a colleague or somebody came and said, your daughter is now dead. Do not trouble the teacher anymore. But Jesus, on hearing this answer, answered him saying, do not fear, only believe, only believe, have faith. She will be well. And when he came to the house, he allowed no one to enter with him except Peter and John and James and the father and mother of the child. And all were weeping and mourning for her. But he said, do not weep, for she is not dead, but sleeping. And when they laughed at him, Knowing that she was, and they laughed at him, knowing that she was dead. 
But taking her by the hand, he called, saying, Child, arise. And her spirit returned, and she got up at once. And he directed that something should be given to her to eat. And her parents were amazed, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Man, mind blown. Two incredible stories, two incredible journeys of faith, two uh, moments where we see miracles happen that are just like, wow. And so we see this, and if you're taking notes this morning, the first point, and really the main point of this morning, I have three points, but the two I'm going to go through really quickly, is that Jesus responds to desperate people. It's very simple. Jesus responds to desperate people. What's really interesting here is, just to kind of recap, you have Jesus at the pinnacle of his ministry. He comes into this town, and you have a guy by the name of Jairus. Now, here's the, the compare and contrast that we need to follow through this. And I don't think it's by coincidence that Luke puts them together and sandwiches the story of this lady in between. Because we get to see the contrast of these two people. You have Jairus, who is a ruler of the synagogue. He was actually the one who was in charge of planning the services. He was the one that said, we're going to sing these three songs. We're going to have someone speak. We're going to do these rituals. This is going to be a time of sacrifice or whatever, close song, whatever. He was the one that was in charge of that. Everybody knew him. He was popular. Even Luke says his name is Jairus. And he comes and he hears about Jesus. The crowd is waiting. And I don't know what happens, but I can envision envision he's breaking through the crowd desperate. Because his 12-year-old daughter is dying. Now, as a dad of a 13, 12, and 11-year-old, I can imagine. If you're a parent, it doesn't matter what age. When your child is sick, is dying, whatever the case, circumstance is, you're going to do whatever it takes. You will donate an organ. You will give blood. You will spend your life inheritance. You will go to the hospital. You will spend nights on those really comfy beds. You will do whatever it takes for your child. And Jairus was desperate. She's 12. She's dying. She doesn't have a lot of time left. He knows that. And he's heard of Jesus. Now, this is a big deal. Because if you studied scripture, you know the religious leaders of the day weren't really following, believing, or even looking up to this guy who said he was the Messiah. And so for Jairus, the leader of the synagogue, this ruler to come to the feet of Jesus, breaking through the crowds and to fall at his feet is a huge deal. Jewish men did not fall at the feet of other men. And as religious leaders, they were kind of, I know it sounds creepy, but like these um, stately guys with long robes who almost like floated as they walked through town. And here he is imploring Jesus, I need you to come to my house. Everybody knows him. Now let's flip to the girl. Jesus, as, as he's walking to Jairus' house, the crowds are pressing in on him, and this lady who for 12 years, you see 12-year-old daughter, now a woman who has been dealing with a blood discharge disease for 12 years. Now, culturally and ceremonially, she was considered unclean. So when you think about that, she's been locked up in her house as an outcast in the community. Do not touch anybody because you're unclean. Do not say anything. No hugs, no physical touch. Do not go out in public. You stay there. And so somehow she hears Jesus is there and she is desperate. 
She's had chronic pain. She's dealt with this disease for, her whole, for 12 years of her life, locked up, lonely, depressed, no physical interaction, no physical touch. And she hears Jesus is coming to town, so she sneaks out. And she goes through the crowd. She swims through the crowd and touches Jesus. We don't know her name. We know Jairus' name. We don't know this lady's name. You see the spectrum? You see the chasm that's created here? Luke does a fantastic job with this. So he, she touches, just touches the garment of Jesus. Jesus says, who touched me? Now, I don't believe that this is like, who touched me? You know, moment. But I also don't think that he's dumb and asking because he really doesn't know. He knows. So, he, so Peter, which, you know, Peter's a lot like you and me. And I read one commentary that said in this moment and also, also like in a part of Peter's life, he's always doing the hokey pokey with his feet in his mouth, you know. Put your right foot in, put your left, okay. Uh, you get that, all right. But, but that Peter's like, Jesus, of course someone touched you. The crowd is pressing in on you. Someone's going to touch you. Jesus is like, no, no, no. Someone touched me because I felt the power leave me. And so this girl who's been in captivity because of this disease, seeing what Scripture says, which this is interesting, doesn't give us a lot of detail, but when the woman saw that she was not hidden, I don't know if she stuck out like a sore thumb. I don't know if people are like, it was her. But when she saw that she wasn't hidden, she came trembling. And you have to imagine in this moment, in her mind, she's probably thinking there's a lot of shame that's about to take place. Jesus is about to say, he already asked, who touched me? And I was about to say, you shouldn't have touched me. You're unclean. You know the ceremonial rituals. You know the law. Unclean things need to stay locked up, away. You can't touch clean things. You need to be over there. Do not touch anybody. But this is what I love in this moment. This teaches us so much in, about Jesus. Then when he looks to her, he doesn't say woman. He doesn't say you. He doesn't say get out of here. You need to do all this stuff and bring all this shame. What does he call her? Daughter. How beautiful is that? He says daughter. He says daughter. Powerful, powerful language right here that I think so many times we just read over. He says daughter. And then he says your faith has made you well. Now just kind of a side point. Um, if you're taking notes, you know, write this down. You see this contrast. And people like Jairus, or Jairus, see, I sound like Dallas now. Jairus, okay, is that, oh, man, I can't wait to show him this on YouTube. It's going to be great. I owe him lunch. But um, Jairus, you know, when, when he's this ruler, everybody knows him. And a lot of the times when we approach Jesus like him, the thing that keeps us from going to Jesus, I said this last week, is our pride. We don't need Jesus. We have it all together. I'm going to be honest. This has hit home as a pastor. Like, he's in ministry. You want to know how many, like, why so many pastors, like the suicide rate is going up? Because they think they can handle it all by themselves. They think, I'm going to put all this pressure on me. And I, I can handle it. And a lot of times that pride will get to you. We see fallen leaders in the church. This just eats them up and the devil gets a foothold in them. 
And so we see this moment, and I, I can't help but think you have people in our life and some of us in this room that our pride gets in the way of keeping us from Jesus. But then oftentimes we're like the lady with a disease that it's our shame. It's our guilt. It's our baggage. It's our present circumstances that says, you know what? There's no way. I'm unclean, and there's no way that Jesus can bring any healing in my life. How many times have we heard people say, I I know early on after I became a Christian, I was telling a friend about Jesus, and they said, I just need to kind of get my act together before I start going to church and give my life to Jesus. I need to kind of wash myself up. I know that's why you go to Jesus. But we've bought into this thing, I need to clean myself up before I come to Jesus. That's why Jesus went to the cross. He cleaned up the mess. He's forgiven that. And so those kind of scenarios often keep us from going to Jesus. And in that moment, Jesus, when he says, someone touched me, who who touched me? I can't help but think he's looking for someone to just identify themselves. Say, it was me. Why? I had enough faith. I was desperate. And Jesus responds to that. He responds to the desperation. Whether, whether it's Jairus running to the crowd and saying, I don't care. I'll put all my religious stuff and duties aside. I don't care if everybody knows me or not. I'm desperate. Or to this lady who's unnamed in Luke saying, I have this disease. I'm not even supposed to be here right now. I'm supposed to be, stay inside, but I'm coming to Jesus. Pure desperation in this. It's the common ground between, between both of them. And I couldn't help but see that in this, what really speaks to me is that the gospel the grace of Jesus for all people. It's for everyone. None of us are better than any, anybody else in this room. And that, that same grace, that same love, that same hope is for all people. No matter your past, your present, or your future. Man, Jesus is there. But here's the danger that you and I face. When our devotion and our desperation are pointed to anything other than Jesus, it's idolatry. Think about that. When our devotion and desperation is pointed to anything else other than Jesus is idolatry. We look for other things to cure us. And if we're really honest and we evaluate, we're more desperate for other things than we are Jesus. We're desperate for a pay raise. We're desperate for for us to have a child that we've been struggling with. Um, we're, We're desperate for our kid to make the sports team. We're desperate for this to happen in our marriage or for me to get that job that I wanted or for this to be healed or for this to happen in my life. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't hope and we shouldn't pray. I'm not saying that. But a lot of the times our desperation and devotion are pointed to those things than this trusting Jesus himself. We have to be very careful because that is idolatry. And we worship a lot of other things, and a lot of other things fills up the devotion in our lives that we're desperate for other than Jesus. And we have to go to Jesus. Now, while there was an underlying problem for both of these uh, individuals, man, they went to Jesus. We saw that last week with the disciples. They go to Jesus, but we need to have the faith to just trust in Jesus and Jesus alone in this. And You know, so often we buy into this, I don't need Jesus, but man, these two individuals are like, I need Jesus. I love this quote 
from Corey Ten Boone. Man, incredible story there. I don't have time to get into it, but she says this, one of her famous quotes, you can never learn that Christ is all you need until Christ is all you have. And we kind of talked about this in small group, and I think this is one of the beauties of going on a mission trip. I've been overseas a lot of, a lot of times and have experienced incredible miracles where anything from, uh, I told our small group, I met a guy that was born blind. And through a lot of prayer and some different things from his family and of himself, man, he, like, Jesus healed him. He was able to see. And I know we live in a world that, with everything, we are super skeptical. We're like, I just don't know. I see those things on TV, and I'm just not sure. And I'm with you, all right? I'm not saying that everything that you see on TV or you read on the Internet is really the hand of God, you know. But I do believe in miracles, And I think that overseas, I see in these countries, they experience these miracles more often because of their faith. Man, it's all they have. And we get distracted, especially in America, saying, you know, I have everything I need. I don't need Jesus. I don't need this whole faith in God thing. I mean, you work hard, you get what you get. You know, be a good person, be successful, everything goes. I, I don't need Jesus. I'm a pretty good parent. On my, by myself or together with my spouse or whatever. Man, we need Jesus. And that really is the formula for desperation, is to realize our inability to do it without Jesus. We need Jesus. It's like um, I was changing my brakes on my truck, um, I don't know, a few months, months ago. Does that impress y'all? Y'all are like, what? But don't let it. My brakes squeal now. So, um, but they're working, okay? But my kids, you know, my boys wanted to help. And so they thought, you know, like being teenage, uh, preteen guys, they're like, oh, I'm going to, I undid all the lug nuts and my truck was elevated. And they're like, let me take the, the wheel off of that. Now, I don't know if you've ever lifted a tire and a wheel. It's heavy. It's really, really heavy. So I'm like, go at it. They're like, yeah, 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 yeah. And they're like, you know, it's like, yeah, you know, and they can't get it. They could not get it. And they realized and they looked to, my dad, to me as their dad and said, I need your help, dad, you know. And I know that sounds very simplistic, but that's what we have to do with Jesus. I can't get it, God. I can't, I, I can't do it. <laughs> can't lift this. I can't get through this circumstance without you. I need you. And that's where the, these individuals are at. We need to know that Jesus is all we have. And here's two quick points that we see in this, in this desperation to the character of who Jesus is. One, Jesus has authority over disease. Now, this is a long, uh, hard one to swallow because I know for many of us, it doesn't seem like that. Maybe you've been diagnosed with something or lost a loved one to this and you just wish Jesus would have healed and done that. And I know I don't have all the words to say but other than just to trust Jesus in that. But think about this. What I love this is points to the gospel. And here's a big picture of this, because in this, ceremonially and even in real life, what happens, what typically happens when unclean things touch clean things? The clean things become dirty. But in this, it's the opposite. The unclean thing touches Jesus, and she's made clean. And it's the beauty of the gospel that, sick, um, that Jesus has authority over disease or sickness And really, the spiritual root for every single one of us, the disease that all mankind deals with is sin. 
So you might not have a blood discharge. You might not have cancer. You might not be dealing with some disease or sickness. But at the end of the day, all of mankind deals with sin. And that's the greatest sickness that you and I face. And Jesus has authority over that. So the last point, with that being said, as a result of that sickness, we um, experience death. So Jesus has the authority over death. We see this when he comes to the daughter who's dying. It's like, hey, don't cry. She's only sleeping. How did they react? They laughed at Jesus. I'm like, ha, ha, yeah, right. Joke's on you. She's dead. She's been dead. And he says, arise. He has authority over death. This is a hard one for us to grasp, but I want you to think about the spiritual um, ramifications of this. Because of our sin, you notice you've been in church, but it is so true. We see it in Scripture. Because of our sin, you and I deserve death. The wages of sin is death. And that death isn't going to heaven without Jesus. It's going to hell. We have to have Jesus to spend eternity with him in heaven. And that's because Jesus has the authority over death. He conquered death three days after he was crucified. He conquered it so that you and I could spend eternity with him. And this is just a prime example to speak into the nature and foreshadow what he will eventually do on the way to the cross, to the cross, and three days later for you and for me. And I don't know about you, but when I read this and I see, and as we continue, and I know the character of God, and I see who Jesus is and what he's done for us, I can't help but say, that's where my devotion needs to be. He did that for me. That's where my desperation needs to lie. Because how many times if you and I ran to something out of desperation, guess what? It fails us. It's temporary. Hey, you know, I remember being in middle school or in high school and be like, if I just get into this relationship, it'll make me happy. And then you become an adult. If I just had a little bit more money, it would make me happy. And you put all of your eggs in those baskets and it's just temporary. Run to Jesus. Let him be your devotion. Let him be your desperation. And I challenge you with that this morning as we're about to respond and worship. Man, be like these individuals. Run to Jesus this morning. Wherever you're at in your relationship with him, maybe you don't have a relationship, run to Jesus. Fall at his feet and identify yourself saying, I need you. And we're here. If you want to make that decision, I'll be down front if you want to talk afterwards. If you want to meet for coffee and you want to kind of walk through and process those things, I would love to do that. Next week, we have baptism. Man, we have 19 baptisms across all of our campuses next week. And so, yeah. So people are taking that step. Take that step. Take it. What are you waiting on? Come to the feet of Jesus. Do that this morning. Do that. Maybe that step is the mission trip. Maybe it's getting plugged into a small group that we talked about last week. You can do all that in the lobby. Take a step today. Let's pray together. Father, we're so thankful that in our desperation, we can run to you. Please forgive us when we run to so many other things that our world offers. You're kind of the last resort. Father, give us the heart. Give us the passion to run to you first and foremost because you're Jesus. You're the healer. You're the giver of life. You're the one who brings grace and forgiveness. And so, Father, for the person that's here this morning that thinks they need you the least, 
Father, I pray that today is the day that they find you and, and they realize they need you the most. And that, God, today would be the day that they take a step towards you. And maybe that's salvation. Maybe it's baptism. Maybe it's a mission trip. Maybe it's getting into a group. Maybe it's just talking. They're struggling. They just need to kind of re-evaluate. But, Father, today is that day for that step to approach your feet and say, I can't do it. I'm desperate. God, I've tried everything, and it's not working. But I come to you. I don't know what that means, but out of faith and trust, I'm coming to your feet. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Let's respond by just worshiping how awesome Jesus is this morning. So let's stand and let's worship together.